Hallelujah. And I cannot add a thing to what Pastor has done on the last few Sundays and the Wednesday that he preached. God lives in a three-room house. But I would like for us to revisit it because if you don't understand what happened at NAYC and you don't understand the desire to be close to Jesus and then to help someone, this lesson is for you. And it is entitled, God Lives in a Three-Room House, and I'm a teacher by trade. I can remember when I first started teaching, and I had a variety of people in my classroom. It says reconnecting. I don't know what that means, but fix it for me. You may have to advance those. I would go up, come home and tell my husband the same thing five different ways. And finally, he turned to me one day and he said, Janice, I got it the first time. And I said, well, thank you. Uh, I'm a teacher and a lot of my students don't get it the first time. And I'm not sure that I got what he preached the first time. There was so much and I told him I can't swallow it all. But I said, I would like to return what I have received. And I know and believe that he is watching right now. And Pastor, we love you. We're praying for you that the Lord will give you strength and restoration on this little hiatus. So God lives in a three-room house, and where things got so thick because he is such a great teacher is his mind started pulling all the threes in the Bible to help us understand what God wants to do for us always so that you do not feel like church and relationship with God and his people is a box you tick off so that you can get a gold star at the end of your life. This is transformative. And so I want to go back to that first slide. And he put up the tabernacle. And in the far left corner he showed what it actually looked like from the outside and then he took us on a little journey inside so that you see probably where it says altar of burnt offering it's red it's a box everything all of all, everything could fit into that box that was the first place in your worship of God if as an Israelite meaning you are separated by God of all the families of the earth. He chose Abraham, then his son, then his son's son, and then all those children that multiplied in Egypt. He said, I started with one man. I've made me a nation. Now here's what I want from you. I want you to be different from everybody else to me. I want you for me. I want you to have a relationship with me. And in order to have a relationship with me, there's going to have to be some bloodshed. Now, we don't have to kill animals now, and I'm so grateful because every time one of those chickens had gone missing at David and Sheena's, I mourn. And unfortunately, one day, I walked on the remnants of a chicken, and I can't erase what I saw from my mind. I am not a country girl at heart. I spent a lot of time in <coughs> rural Arkansas, but I'm telling you now, chicken killing is not in my purview. I could never wring a chicken's neck. I can't stand to see a dead deer. So when I came here, I was in culture shock because the roadkill is so huge. 
I was used to an occasional possum, but I'm telling y'all, I've gotten cold and calloused. Every day, these children of Israel had to bring a sacrifice, kill a live, innocent animal for what they've done. And I am sure that when they were little, maybe those little kids cried over a lamb that had to be slain. But I am going to just guess, because of what the Lord had to do later, that people just got accustomed to slicing throats and draining blood, and then they went and did their thing. That is the problem with the Old Testament. It never got here. People went through the motions, and they never changed. It's a dangerous place to be when you're standing in the presence of a holy God who's trying to prepare us for the longest portion of our life, which will be eternity. This is just a proving ground. After you went through that burnt offering, you had to wash all that bloody mess off. And I will tell you this, we cannot spend our time obsessing on our failures and our faults. Pastor, one of the most wonderful things he preached stuck in my little finite mind when he said, God has given us the gift of self-forgetfulness. <sighs> Jesus said, don't take any thought for what you eat and what you wear. I know you need all of this. But you seek me first and how to live right with me, for me, and with each other. And I'll cover you, cradle to grave. In fact, there is a scripture. Everybody knows Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And the whole Old Testament is trying to get us out of the mess that our forefathers got us into. Praising God until we finally get to the New Testament where the tabernacle is dismantled as a building and becomes the flesh and bone of Jesus Christ. Which is why you don't have to have a beautiful church like this to worship God in. In fact, Jesus said, if just two of you will get together in my name, I'll be there. Way different from everything they had to go through. But if you stopped at the altar and the laver, you miss two-thirds of what the whole thing is about. All you would see from outside there is blood and guts and water. That was just preparation for the inside, which was the holy place, which had a lampstand, pure gold, so that you could see by the light of a candle. I hate these new lights. They're not flattering. They don't enhance, they expose. This was light from oil that had been pressed from olives, and it was a gentle light. And you know what? When you get Jesus on the inside and you leave the blood and guts of the outside, you will find that the inner life with Jesus Christ is like having a lampstand. And not only was there a lampstand, but there was a table full of bread, fresh bread and it was made every day and then there was a sweet smell you had to get inside to smell that incense on that golden altar but there was a third part too and while everybody could go to the altar and the laver only a few people could go to the holy place and then only one person we can serve God corporately right here and everybody can repent together. And everybody can get washed 
together. And sometimes we can worship together. But if you're going to go behind the curtain, you're going to do that alone. No one can get the Holy Ghost for you. Nobody can have a transformative experience for you. We can teach you about it. We can show you. We can manifest. We can lead you to it. But only you by yourself will make that journey. Jesus on the inside. And I want to go to that next slide and just repeat that. The outer court was the altar of sacrifice where you had to acknowledge. Now, it's one thing when people offend each other and you own up or I own up and we apologize to one another and we can argue all day long who's right and who's wrong. But when we come into the presence of God, there is no discussion about who's right and wrong. If we're going to get to him, there cannot be an argument or a justification about what we've done. He is God. He says he is righteous. I have to agree with him. And if he says X, Y, Z is sin and I want to get to him, I'm going to have to accept that fact. And I'm going to have to accept that fact that I did it. I own it. And that's what the altar of sacrifice is for. The hardest thing you will ever do is admit you're wrong in the presence of God. But as I said, you cannot stay there cutting yourself and sobbing and moaning and groaning. That's not healthy. It's not even godlike. It's not normal. God doesn't want that blood sacrifice. He already did that business. That's not what he's interested in. He's interested in us going further. So we wash and then suddenly we're in a place, a holy place, where there's bread and light and something sweet. And then behind that curtain the Holy of Holies, where there were two things, maybe not discernible initially because it looked like just a box with a lid, but those were the two things, a golden box and then a solid lid of gold. And inside that box were the commandments, all 10 of them. And inside that box was Aaron's rod that budded. And inside that box was a pot of manna. And those are the three areas of our transgressions. Those commandments were ten. God said, you've got to keep these ten if you're going to be with me. Well, I've broken every one of them. If I haven't broken them openly, I broke them in my heart, according to Jesus. A lot of people could feel justified if they didn't murder anybody in the Old Testament. But Jesus nailed us all in the New Testament. We said, if you hate someone... You've just as good as killed them. Boom. I broke them. Then he talked about coveting things. I may have never stolen from people, but when I long for something that belongs to someone else, I've broken that last covenant. When I want somebody's house or car or shoes or things, I have broken the law. And in those commandments, there's death. Because anybody that breaks them is going to die because it is written, the wages of sin is but the gift of God is. So in the Old Testament, all we heard about was the death and the dying. In the New Testament, a solution was offered. And Jesus became the tabernacle. He became those things openly. He wasn't interested in people erecting a tent or building a fabulous cathedral. He did not want to occupy a geographical place. He wanted to occupy flesh and bone. So he came as flesh and bone. And he didn't waste any of the time he spent with Abraham and his children. He didn't waste it at all. He created the DNA that he was going to inhabit. 
But he used the Old Testament to prove to everybody who would have said, just tell me what the rules are. Well, the problem is the rules have to do with heart and not will. You and I don't have enough willpower to keep those Ten Commandments. I can't even keep my mouth shut. And we think that we're going to... Because it, the Ten Commandments don't bring transformation. But the presence of God does. But sin separated us from him in the first divorce. When Adam and Eve allowed a third party to creep into their intimacy and broke their connection to God. The Old Testament is all about the plan that God made to get it back. So he prepared these very literal people a literal place because he was going to say to us in the New Testament, I am going to become the skin stretched over the poles. All those years <clears throat> they erected that tent and stretched linen and animal skins. Well, that sounds like bones. And Jesus became the tabernacle. And that's why we celebrate. And in that Ark of the Covenant, now we're getting to a place where I have no effect. Now, I can affect the outside. There is action that I can do. On the outside, I must make a sacrifice. I must sacrifice if I am going to get to God. It is written. It's not me preaching it. I have to acknowledge the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit, not a chicken or a goat or a lamb. God wants my brokenness, my acknowledgement, my sincere, deep, heartfelt penitence. That is his sacrifice. That's his preference. David said, I would have given you thousands, but you're not interested in bulls and goats and sheep and critters. You want my heart. Which is why it is so futile to go through 15 steps and call ourselves Christian. Christian means inner transformation. And only God can do that. Now in that second place, I could make the bread, I could light the lamp, and I could burn the incense. But I'll guarantee you I can't do anything in that third part. That third part is a God thing. Because in that third part where those commandments were that I broke, and Aaron's rod that budded, that's rebellion. That's what happened when people said, I am as good as he is. Why is he standing up there? So if it weren't enough to break all the ten, the Lord said, I know how people are. They compare themselves among themselves, and they will argue over whom I have picked. And that rod was the evidence of their rebellion. I'm just getting sadder and sadder. And then that pot of manna, that was the provision of God. And you know how people felt about it? They got tired of it. They got tired of getting up every morning and having to go outside and pick up bread, grind it up, and make it into the food for their day. They did not understand that that was a type and shadow of give us this day our daily bread. And they didn't understand the lyrics of the song, this is the air I breathe. This is my daily bread what you're speaking to me that counteracts what I'm hearing out there. It just feeds me. It's like pure oxygen and it does something for me. 
all of that sitting in a box. Now, what's astounding about that is on top of that box, we're still talking about God dwells in a three-room house. On top of that box was something utterly otherworldly. Now, I can understand the three things in the box, the broken commandments, evidence of rebellion, and the refusal of something that's heavenly. But you know what God did with that? Instead of dragging it out every day and beating us over the head with it, he said, once it goes inside that box, it's buried in me. And he put a lid on it. And he called it the mercy seat. And there were cherubims on the left and on the right. And it's a seat, which means that's where the presence dwells. All of the things I've done. All of the things that my adversary would use to drag up to me over and over again. Behind a curtain. In a box. Covered with mercy. And the Bible said. His mercy endures forever. The character of God is not going to change once he makes a new heaven and a new earth. He's still going to be merciful. This gives me hope because people are not merciful. They are not forgiving. We are not able to do that unless God is living in our three-room house. And we have become a tabernacle like Jesus was. Let's do the next slide. Now, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the Bible said three times in a year, all your males are going to appear before the Lord. And this is amazing to me because I've wondered, where were the women and the children? You see, that was part of the problem because God came into a society that didn't respect either of those. Women and children were possessions and property. And Jesus said, when I come, I'm going to break that. That's a man-made thing. Because in Jesus Christ, there's neither male nor female. He said, I don't look at your gender. There's neither Jew nor Greek. I don't care about your heritage. There's neither bond nor free. I'm not interested in your socioeconomic status. But you are all one in Christ Jesus, which means that when he comes to you with an offer for you to acknowledge yourself and to honestly confess and to honestly wash, he will open the second room, which is the holy place. And the Bible said he has raised us up together to sit in these heavenly places that leave behind what my mom did and my dad and what I didn't have and what I do have and what they have and what I don't. It just ceases to matter once you pass the altar and the life. And suddenly there is illumination. It's an epiphany. It's a eureka moment when you sit and go, Oh, I see, I see. I see. I'm tasting. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. I can smell the fragrance. He's so sweet. How did I ever misinterpret what God had in store for me? Well, as we all do. 
The fire that fell on Sinai was a frightful thing to people who weren't invited to walk into it. And even Moses said, I'm terrified because the fire wasn't in him. It was outside of him. He was petrified of God. And everywhere you look in that Old Testament, people are fearful of him until he becomes Jesus. And then little kids want to touch him. And blind people want to get near him. And women who would have been cast out as worthless and not worthy of anything. And the first woman who anointed him was Mary with an alabaster box. And Mary Magdalene ran and told his disciples. He changed everything. He took in the disenfranchised and the broken and people that didn't have a chance. And he said, it doesn't matter if you're with me. And so he said, I want the males because this is where he started. He had to start somewhere. And he said, the first one is going to be Passover. That's outer court. And guess what they did during the Passover? Blood. Lots of it. Yearling lambs. I think the odor would have been enough to just gag me wretched. But to see little helpless, innocent creatures bleeding for the lie I told or the smart mouth and I think that God was trying to break through that hard I don't give a rip what I'm doing won't hurt anybody that's why he had to do it they didn't even cry over the loss of animals they didn't understand that when you break those 10 you're crushing your own kids you're killing your own marriage you're crushing your own life God didn't put those commandments out there to keep us from good. He did it to keep us from destroying ourselves. But we didn't get it. And we still don't. Because as a high school teacher, I always had students that told me, just tell me what I need to do to make an A. I really don't care if I learn the material. I want to go through the five steps. And if I get an A on this test and a B on that one, and if I get a 95, the next one. Now, I don't, I won't remember one thing you've said because I'm not interested in the material. Just give me a grade. Thousands of years, God endured that kind of thing. Outer court, blood, inner court, Pentecost. Weeks, 50 days after the slaughter, Come and celebrate. Come inside. Eat. Celebrate. Trying to lay out a pattern that they never got because that entire generation was slaughtered. And he said, I can't do anything with you. I can't touch your heart. You backslide on me. You're like an adulterous woman. And he used the language of intimacy to talk about how heartbroken he was that the people he called to be his family could not be faithful to him until he used the DNA of David and said, I will robe myself and come to a humble virgin with a man who will be a stepfather and I'll show you how to live. And I referred to it even in the Old Testament, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, but then he promised to the grave, and I'll be your guide even to death. This is before they even understood that the tabernacle was a type of Jesus and a type of me and you. And then tabernacles, whew, that's atonement. You know what that is? The Passover is the outer court where blood and slaughter had to happen again. 
How many times a day do you repent? As many times as you mess up. Penitence is not something you do outwardly for people to see. It's something you do to acknowledge. I did it again, God. It's so private and personal and deep. And it'll bring tears to your eyes because Paul said, I want to do good all the time. And every time I try, there's evil around me. Wretched man that I am. I can feel him just. But thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. So he walked in the same shoe leather and the same flesh and bones that I did, although we couldn't even speak to each other face to face in the same language. That atonement, that atonement, that one time a year, thousands of people could be in the outer court. A handful of clean people could get into the inner court where you read your Bible every day and you get a little woo. But oh boy. If you really want more, you can only go one at a time behind the curtain. And only one priest could do it, only one time a year. He'd walk in there fearfully with blood in his hands, interceding for himself, because if he walked in there acting like he's all that, God would drop him to the ground. He was standing there for all the little women and children that weren't going to walk behind the curtain. All the young teenage boys and all the teenage girls that were never going to make that trip inside the curtain because they hadn't been invited. He stood there shaking, no doubt, with blood in his hands and asked the God of Israel just to roll their sins forward. And then for one more year, Israel would wake up every morning remembering every stinking thing they had ever done and going back and killing another lamb until the lamb next slide and he said I'm the way I'm your outer court you're gonna have to come to me and make it personal you're gonna have to tell me what you did I will never forget when brother Jason Staten I heard him say as a young army whatever he was he was all messed up and drunk and doing drugs and and one night he remembered that his mother was praying and he remembered he remembered out there on the base somewhere that you're supposed to repent and he remembered the scripture that said confess with your mouth and he started saying out loud everything he'd done and God filled him with the Holy Ghost and they were in a chapel service and the guys that were there could tell that something had happened to him that hadn't happened to them they just the Lord Jesus is my Savior ta-da well <laughs> and they said how can we have what you have have. He said, you're going to have to confess. He said, wait a minute, let me go ask the Lord. He walked outside, tell him, what do I tell him? And he said, the Lord came back to me and he said, tell them all to confess. And he said, they lined up those big soldiers and they walked up to him and stood in front of him and told him every stinking thing they had done. And he'd say, okay, are you sorry for it? Yes, tears rolling down their cheeks. Yes, I'm sorry for it. And he laid his hands on them. And you know what happened to them? Every one of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You cannot get past the way. 
is not confessing to me, my God in heaven, I'm as guilty as everybody is. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am your outer court. And the easiest thing you'll ever do is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Kneel down in front of the presence of Jesus Christ, who was the lamb, so I wouldn't have to kill a thousand in a year. He said, if you'll just come to me and tell me what you did, even after you've walked with me and you've still messed up, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. You can't get forgiveness for what you won't confess. Then he said, I'm the truth. You know what the truth is? That second place, that holy place. If you want to know the truth, then you have to get in the holy place where you set aside God in your heart and God sets you aside. I don't do what I do because I think I'm so good. I have reserved myself because I was asked to reserve myself to him. Just like I cut myself off for the sake of my husband with whom I have the most intimate relationship of all the relationships I have ever had. And I am faithful to that when he is present, and I am faithful to that when he is absent. So am I faithful to the God who called me out of darkness into this marvelous light. And it's not because I want to be a vessel that I enter the holy place. It's because once I got past the snot and the slobber and the sobbing over what I did suddenly I found myself in a place where there's light and I understand things now and there's bread and I smell something sweet and I didn't have to go to a bar to get it or a party it came from inside of me because I passed through the way and the truth now some people are going to be content to repent, to slaughter, and to go inside where there's bread. They like to come to church because they feel the music and they like pastor's teaching. And they like the fragrance of the kindness that's all around. You've gone two-thirds, but there's one-third more. what's behind the curtain I would have never had a chance until Jesus died hung his head and became the tabernacle and ripped the division between genders, ethnicities status and said come inside Janice me? you want me? but I'm not holy I'm sitting on that but what about all the things I've done? What things? What are you talking about? You don't remember? You covered me. I just want someone to come be with me. I tore the veil of my flesh. I let them rip my hands, rip my back, tear up my feet and run a spear in my guts so that I could be close to you. I'm not close to the animals, 
psalm said, you hold your breath and everything dies. You breathe again and it all lives. He said, I never did go to angels and say, would you come be with me and sit down next to me and let me show you what I've made. I would like to spend 30 minutes with you, but to someone like me, he said, here's how you're going to have to get to me. I'm going to break your heart. I'm going to show you what you've done. When God comes and begins to convict us of sin, it does one of two things for us. For us. It either mounts us in a puddle or it makes us hard and we justify what we've done. He melted me because I knew he was right and I wanted to be with him. He invited me to come close just like a little kid, just like one of those rejected women, just like that leper, just like the woman with the issue of blood. He said, you want life? You've got to do the outer, the inner. And then when I call you, come inside. And you know how you know you're in the innermost. First of all, it's very dark in there. You know why? My soul needs rest. When I go to sleep, I turn out all the lights. I want to rest. And let me tell you what's behind the curtain. There are no neon lights exposing me for a failure. There's not even the warmth of candle glow. There's a silent stillness and maybe from the outer candle that there might be just a shine that hits that cherubim. And when I walk in, I can tell you this, my first experience when I received the Holy Ghost at nine years old was only eclipsed by my second at 14 when I was a broken child going through all kinds of stress and didn't know how to get there. And I saw in my mind a tree doing this and I stood to my feet in the dark room where my parents had been and my mom and dad weren't doing so well and there was struggle and stress and I was trying to find a way to relieve the pressure and I stood to my feet and just began to wave my arms. I said, I'll be a tree. I'm so messed up. I don't know how to get to you and I don't know how to get you to me. But all I did was stand and move my arms and something came out from behind that curtain and embraced the love and the life of a 14 year old child and the roof lifted and the Lord himself picked me up in the Holy Ghost and carried me to a heavenly place where have you been are you still struggling with what you've done Maybe you're just enjoying bread and light. Those are just the foretaste. You pass through that because suddenly he didn't do this with the dinosaurs. He's never gone to a star and he never said to the angels who can do things I can't even imagine. Come sit with me. But a little old girl from the backside of nowhere made her way 
by invitation and he scooted over and you know what I saw and you know what I felt love and mercy love and mercy God dwells in a three room house faith when you start sacrificing suddenly you're like I have faith I, I, I believe he'll hear me and you give your first sacrifice you give up whatever it, okay I'll lay aside this and what are you doing you think you're holy no I just want what's behind the curtain and then you go inside and you hear words spoken freely three times a week and suddenly you start having hope could this be me you're talking about me you want to inhabit me and you want me to inhabit you and you start reading your Bible and there's light and you start getting fed and there's bread and there's something so sweet but if you're ever going to get charity the kind that thinks no ill and does no evil you're going to have to go into the dark where you are confronted by the fact that you broke every single thing that's in the box and God has not dropped you dead nor held it against you mercy I'll never forget my heart was broken Somebody stole something from me, and I didn't know it till another person whom I didn't know came up to me and said, Hey, so-and-so says that's theirs. I was a grown adult then. What? But it isn't. It's mine. My name is on it. Oh, no. They put their name on it and said it's theirs. But, 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 but. I cried and cried and cried. I didn't even know I'd lost it till somebody told me it had been stolen. I couldn't get over it. I don't know how long I cried. We were in revival, and I'd think of it again, and I'd just weep. The loss was so great because, because the person that did it to me was someone I admired, and I, could not, I couldn't comprehend it. I, I, just, I just didn't know what to think about it. And I was in the car praying, and the Lord said, he opened my, he opened my mind to the book of John where it said if anyone offends you go to them and if they if they hear you then the relationship's great and if they don't hear you go take somebody else and say do you, did you do this and, and if they won't hear you treat them like a stranger well I wanted to burn them to the ground stranger what does that mean courteously polite And then the Bible said that next verse, and if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And the Lord said to me, Janice, what do you want me to do to them? Boy, I'll tell you what, now that's a something. And all I could see was all my sins. And all I could see is what would happen to me if that were me and I had done that to somebody else. And then suddenly it flipped. What kind of condition are you in that you would do this to someone who has never hurt you? And you know what I did? I started praying for that person. God, I'm asking you to show mercy because I know that my hands are guiltless and I cannot imagine where they are right now. 
if they would openly say something that is an outright lie. And I began to pray. And I began to intercede. And do you know what happened to my morning? Gone. Mission accomplished. My pain was a prompt to pray for someone else. You're not going to do that unless you get to where the mercy seat is. Because I walked away that day filled with mercy for somebody who had wronged me. And I didn't have to work it up. I got it from the throne. I got it from that golden throne. I honestly felt it. I could greet that person. I could look at them. I could shake their hand. It was over. You know why? Because heart change doesn't happen at the way. And it doesn't happen at the truth. It happens when you get in touch with life. I'm telling you, and the life is what's in that box covered by mercy. I found mercy. I want you to lift your hands right now. God lives in a three-room house. And Jesus said it, and the greatest of these is charity. So I want you to go to that next slide. And I'm going to hurry up. I have something else to say tonight along these lines and different. So those of you that can make it tonight, I want to go further with you. The outer court is where you have faith. You start repenting, it's the way. The holy place. Is where your penitence produces hope. And you begin to receive truth, Holy Ghost baptism, light, bread, and incense. But the Holy of Holies is where your change takes place. Suddenly you begin to change the way you treat other people and think about them. Because you've been in the presence of Shekinah glory. Next slide. The Passover was characterized by the Lamb. Pentecost was characterized by the law. And Pastor brought to us the atonement had two kinds of goats. One that was left to wander alone and one that made its way to the altar and said, Get, take everything I have. I will give you all. I'm telling you what the call is this morning. Next slide. And Thessalonians... Here's where God lives. In my body, which is the outer court. And there's only one way to treat it. It needs to be repented over and it needs to be washed. My attitudes are flesh. My emotions are flesh. My thoughts are flesh. They need to be slaughtered and brought to the washing of the water of the word. I cannot let my mind run with me. It needs to come under subjection to the father of spirits. I have to let the word of God tell me, Janice, you are wrong and not wait two weeks. But as soon as I hear it, get down on my face and kill that cow, kill that lamb, stop that sound of rebellion because I'm on my way to the inside where my soul dwells in a holy place, where I'm fed by bread from heaven, where I'm illuminated by the oil of the lamp, Messiah, so that my spirit can connect with the God that made me through the power of the Holy Ghost. Lift your hands right now. And Paul wrote this to the church. I pray that the God of peace. 
I want to bring peace to your body. You're going to have to sacrifice. I want to bring peace to your soul. You're going to have to let the word dwell in you. You cannot reason where you are. The Bible said don't lean to your understanding. You're going to have to get in the word. <coughs> well, I don't want to be a Bible thumper. Then you're going to die. <coughs> you're going to die if you can't get word in you. Because there's too much coming after us right now. I've got to let the word answer from inside my soul. And he said, I pray that your spirit, I want all three parts of you. I want your guts. I want your will. I want your mind. I want your thoughts. And I want your body. You start through your body and you wind up in the spirit. Hallelujah. God lives in a three-room house. The Bible plan of salvation is you are the tabernacle. The outer court is for repenting and washing. The inner court is seeing light, eating bread, and inhaling fragrance. The holy of holies is when you get in the presence. And when the tabernacle gets in you, you may be in it, but is it in you? Then suddenly your attitude is penitent. No more of that arrogant, I'm better than everybody else. That's how you know you've been with Jesus. Meek and lowly. Easily entreated. Illuminated, satisfied, and full of praise. Whether your doctor's report is good or whether it's bad. Because you have scriptures like this, whether we live or we die. We are the Lord's. Where do you get that? My soul is in, illuminated in a holy place. And finally, when the holy gets a hold of you, you're full of mercy. We don't run people down. We don't talk about people. Where'd you get that? Is that a rule? No, I've been in the presence. I've been in the presence. And all he has for me is mercy. And all I have for everybody around me is mercy. Next slide. This is how you know you've been in the holy of holies. Because you are filled with wisdom that comes from above. James 3.17. And it's pure. No more manipulations and intimidations and trying to lord it over people and get what we want. The wisdom is pure. That does not come from personality. And it does not come from practice. And it does not come from your willpower. It comes from how long we've been in the presence. It's peaceable. If I'm contentious, then I have to go back outside and start killing cows and slicing sheep's throats and asking God, Lord, I'm not peaceable anymore. I've been contentious and I'm fighting with everybody and I've let my mouth run. I need some repenting going on. Gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy. When I am merciless, I know where I have not been. That's why pastor said some people are going to be 30, 60, and 100. Some folks are going to say, just take me there and let me sing. But don't change me. And I'm telling you right now, you can sing all you want and still remain just as hard-hearted and just as judgmental. I don't want to be that way. I've already tasted what that's like, and I don't like it. I don't want to be that. I want to be like what I saw where that box is. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Next slide. 
I have been delivered. When God came to my three-room house, I've been delivered. To what? To love from fear. I know I'm going to die sooner or later. There's only one exit plan out of here, either in a box or standing upright when the trumpet sounds. That's it. But I don't have to be afraid of it anymore because he said, I'll just put you to sleep. And then I'll wake you with a kiss. He said, there's no fear in love, but perfect love. When you've been with me, all the preppers, they can't stampede you. Because the Lord said, I'm going to take care of you. All the nerves and jangling and jangling. He said, if you're terrified, you're not being made perfect in love. It means you need a trip to the box, to the presence. Fear has torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because I let him love me. When the presence of God comes and I bow my back, that's like a, a pubescent adolescent. When his mom and dad tries to come around, put his, their arm around his shoulder and say, Son, we love you. Don't touch me. Time to go back outside and kill a cow. Time to wrestle with my nature. Next slide. I have been delivered to become. Here's another set of three. A peacemaker. Can't get that unless you go to the third place. Those people are called children of God because they've been with the prince. Ambassadors. Overcomers. And sons. He that overcomes will inherit literally everything that means getting over you and me and our thoughts and our feelings getting over it and he said when you do that you're going to be my son and then you'll hear the words this is my beloved you sure do please me Lord that's what I'm living for next slide dwelling in God and in love by his spirit. And you know how the Bible says the world is going to know that we've been to the box. If we love each other. That's more impressive than cancer's falling off. Is how we treat each other. And you cannot and I cannot go to that box and treat people with impunity. Treat them less. Mm-mm. It's so not Jesus. So not him. Is that my last slide? Go next. You in Christ. And Christ in you. Christ in me is the hope of glory. I've caught a glimpse now, Lou. I want it. Boy, I tell you, I fall short of it all the time. Sister Carolyn, sometimes I get to the labor and I get mad and I go back. I backslide. I'll get so mad and I get bowed up. And then now I've got five sheep trailing along behind me and ten cows. It's going to take me a while to repent because I hadn't been slaying them every day. And the longer I wait, the longer the sound of my sin roaring in my ears until I finally get to that altar and kneel down and say, you know what I have done, and I'm as guilty as sin. And then the washing comes, and then the word, and then the light, and then the voice. 
come to me, all that labor. Oh, but Jesus, I failed you so miserably. I'll give you rest and into the presence. And then suddenly the hope. Next slide. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. He's new. That's what the tabernacle was all about. Old things are gone. We don't talk the same. We don't speak the same. We don't blame. We don't shame. We don't name. Why? I'm new. Everything's new. Next slide. And now... I've been reconciled to God. I'm not running from him anymore. I'm running to him. I'm not afraid of him. I'm not avoiding church, and I'm not avoiding people in church, and I'm not trying to run away from conviction. I'm running straight to it. And now I can turn to everybody else and go, come on. Yeah, but you don't know it. It doesn't matter. Come on, be reconciled to God. He's waiting for you. Last slide. This is the three-room house. The outer court. Holy place. Holy of holies. Body, soul, and spirit. Repentance. Baptism. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. Faith, hope, and charity to make us peacemakers. Ambassadors. And sons of God. Will you bow your heads? Oh, God. Once again, you have stretched yourself over us and invited us into your presence. I cannot find any other place that changes me. I would like a vacation from the mooing. I would like a vacation from the stress. And then I remember that you told me that my relief is in you. I feel like that man on that NAYC thing that Shauna put up there. I didn't come to church to sit on a pew. Nope. I want to be in the presence.